Monty and Raya's versus movies. Still, again, fantasy. But this time, versus Critical Role, Legend of Vox Machina, episodes three through six. Four through six. Four through six. I'm terrible at math, you guys. I can't even remember a simple number. So, um, I I think it's really good now. Like, Yeah, those first couple episodes, I felt like they were kind of... Very, balancing out just like with the first episode episode one i felt they were really leaning into this is adult this has boobs this has swearing and it does still have swearing but the swearing feels much more natural to me yeah like the scene in episode four where scanlan is trying to interpret the book and he can't and it does the it degenerates into him and Vax just thrusting their middle fingers at each other over and over again. Yeah, that feels like an actual real-life interaction to me. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how it goes. Like, these are characters who swear, and I buy that, and it doesn't get in the way of the story, which is now getting pretty dark and good. Yeah, it is. It's getting super violent. Super violent? I mean... It's pretty violent, honey. There were a lot of people just murdered. Yeah, there was that one little girl who said, did we win a prize? <laughs> oh, man. And then man. ends up pretty much completely murdered. By the way, there's going to be spoilers in this. Yeah. This is for people who've already watched it. Or or for people who haven't watched it just want to know what's going to happen in it. Like, Sure. Uh, sidebar. I increasingly feel that the way to recommend a thing is not by saying, it's really good, but I can't tell you anything about it. Because that people say that about so many things, you know? Sure. So like, How do you think things should be recommended, my dear? Well, let's take The Good Place. Okay. This is a TV show in which uh, Kristen Bell gets sent to heaven, but it's under the wrong name, and she's not really supposed to be there. Right. And then at the end of season one, she finds out it's actually hell. Yes. See? That was a spoiler for The Good Place. I cannot but believe that just happened. It actually did. And do you know why <laughs> it happened? Because now you're interested. Now you're like, wait, what? I see. Now, I do feel bad about not giving a spoiler warning ahead of time. But, but what I gave a spoiler warning right before you said that. I said there will be spoilers in this. I didn't specify <laughs> for what. Rosebud was his sled. Everybody knows that, honey. Well, they should. Uh, anyway, let's talk about the sun tree, because that's like the most iconic moment from early Critical Role for me, is the moment where Vox Machina are in Whitestone, they come upon the sun tree, and they find that somebody has hung villagers that look like them, Vox Machina, as a warning. Yeah. That was a great moment in the game, in the and ga it's a really good moment in the show. In the game, it's great because it slowly dawns on them, because Matt doesn't say, there's guys that look like you. He just says, there's seven bodies up there, couple children. Yeah, they the players had to figure that out. And it was Marisha that figured it out and said, it's us, and that's why she says... That's why Keyleth says it's us at the end of the episode. Yeah. But in the show, because we're not restricted to just the point of view of the player characters, we got to see the villagers up 
show up for a dinner party at the Briar Woods. That's so That's dark. Pretty messed up. They're like so excited because they have to have dinner at the Briarwoods. And the next time we see them, they are dead, dressed like Vox Machina, and hanging on a tree. A couple of them are children. This show does not give a crap about murdering children, by the way. All the children that have had lines and then been murdered so far are either Sam or Liam's kids. Right. So they're the voice actors for those children. <laughs> Their parents are the people that wrote the sh- that are the original players and voice actors for the show. And Sam is That's the casting director. True. Yeah, it is. It's very dark. Like one thing I was thinking during the final heist sequence is they're not afraid to kill characters that have had lines. Yeah, I think that a long time ago I read the one of the ways one of the things that makes a horror movie good is the idea that any character can be killed at any time. That's Joe Bob Briggs's theory Joe on Bob Friday Briggs. the 13th, I believe. Well, I agree with Joe Bob on that. Yeah. If you have a character in a horror film and you know that character is not going to die or be injured, it makes you much less worried about them and it makes you much more divorced from the film. And I feel like, in a way, they're having characters that have speaking roles that you get to know them a little bit and then you see them die is kind of the same thing. It it gets you a little more invested in the story than if it's just some nameless dude in the corner. I mean, there's plenty of nameless dudes in the corner who get killed, but also... Yeah, like in episode six during the heist, there's a bunch of extra rebels on the team and they get killed by the guards. You're like, well, I didn't know that guy's name. I don't know the guard's name, so that's fine. But then the one rebel that's been with them also gets killed. And, right, oh, the, one, no. the first one they saw when they came into town that was trying to protect those children. And she's the one that showed them into the rebel headquarters, so you know her a little bit. Yeah. And then, because and then she just gets killed. Yep. She gets killed by Captain Stonefell, the weirdly head-shaped evil guy he is a weird shaped evil guy yeah but that's just to remind us this guy's evil so in a few minutes when percy goes 1000 million percent anime (laughs) i one thing i really like about the show is the way that the animation styles well adhering to a lot of what we expect as that from the 80s and 90s cartoons we grew up with does love to veer off into anime at rare moments that are just really great yeah uh the two moments for me are one like i say when percy shows up to kill captain stonefell and his eyes are com- obscured by the reflections on the glasses yes. and your soul is now forfeit and all that But the other one was during the planning sequence, which, by the way, took hours and hours during the game. They covered that planning sequence beautifully in the cartoon because in the cartoon, everybody says, here's my plan, here's my plan, here's my plan, here's my plan, and then they find a plan that they're going to use. But let me tell you, that was four plus hours of people arguing over what the plan should be in the game. And they were fun hours, but I'm Eh. so glad that they were able to cut that down. But when they show the plan, it's on a map because it's a heist planning sequence and they're little chibi versions of themselves. And I really... Oh, yeah, that's another anime thing where yeah. they have little chibi versions of themselves planning and that's and they're also super cute. Yeah, I think the chibi version of regular character 
is an anime trope that I am very happy has made it into Western animation. Yeah. It's because Chibi is cute is why is my basic it argument. It is cute, and it's a fun break from the complete seriousness and everybody being killed. Um, I really liked in a couple of these episodes that Percy, who is clearly the driving force between, behind this story arc, because he's the one whose family have been murdered and whose life has been stolen from him, I like that he's dark and serious a lot of the time, but they're not afraid to use him for... But they're not afraid to make jokes with him and about him. Yeah, like when he's on the cart and Vax is making... Vex is making... Vex? Make, you know the difference. Uh, when he's on the cart and Vex is making fun of him, saying, calling him a resting bitch face, and he, he laughs a little when he rebuts it. And I really like yeah, that. Yeah, when he says, I, I'll have you know I have great resting bitch face. And he kind of laughs a little, and it really humanizes the character instead of just making him a vengeance machine. Yeah. Um, I think for me, one of my favorite anime-style moments is when everybody's going to sleep and Percy is just there flicking through the barrels of the gun and the camera moves around so that your point of view is just the gun barrels and then it fades to black. That was what I considered. I was like, that is just arty for the reason of art and I am here for that. Yeah, I'm not even sure it's anime so much as it's artistic animation, which as somebody who grew up in the 70s and 80s, I didn't see a lot of. Um. The other thing I thought was fun was, like, specifically with Percy, when they divided up into Team Front Door and Team Back Door, and Team Back Door is Vax and Percy and Scanlan. And Vax and Percy are the mo- two most serious characters, I feel like. Sure. And Scanlan is 100% comic relief. Yeah, Scanlan's a jackass. But Team Back Door just failed to get through a door several times and Percy, you know, ends one scene saying, I'm going to go find a window. And then at the end of the next scene, he falls. I fell out the window. Yeah. I love that they're willing to do jokes with all the characters. And they're willing to do serious things with all the characters. Yeah, yeah I like that a lot. Um, I really enjoy them not being able to get the door open. Yes, that is that a... That is an ongoing thing. And it is entirely due to dice rolls. Yep. Yeah, there's so many things in the show that are kept specifically because, not because it's, you know, on a story chart or something. It's not part of a story structure. It's just that's what happened in the game. Like Pike loses her connection to the Everlight and she has to go off and have a completely separate subplot to get it back. And that's because Ashley Johnson was shooting blind spot and was gone for huge chunks of the campaign. She had to leave for much of the campaign and rather than saying, oh, well, let's just cram Pike in here. This is what she would have done. They're like, no, we'll just write her out of the story, but we'll keep revisiting her and checking up on her, which I liked a lot. Yeah, I love... But also, um, speaking entirely from what's happening in the current campaign... Ashley Johnson is a gift. Oh, she's so good in the current (laughs) campaign. She is so good. But I really like that, like I said before, that we're not stuck with the point of view of the player characters. We actually get to see what Pike was doing when she was off screen. Because when she left at the end of episode four, I was like, no, we're going to lose Pike. And then we picked up with her going to the Temple of the Everlight. I was like, oh, that's right. 
we can see things now. Right. This character has a life outside of the table. Yeah. Yeah, I like that a lot. I'm wondering if her going to the Temple of the Everlight was... Because I know that Matt was emailing her stuff that happened to the character and that they were emailing back and forth. And I'm wondering if though that story arc or that little storyline is coming from what happened. It could be. I hope so. Now, one thing I enjoy is that you have to, because it's a D&D game, the characters gain experience and get more powerful. Right. But the way they're showing that with, specifically, I want to look at Keyleth, is she has the power, she just doesn't have the confidence to use it yet. Yeah, so instead of showing a character leveling up, we are showing a character gaining confidence and becoming better at what she does. Yeah, like... And I like that a lot. Like, early we see someone say, Keyleth, can you create sunlight? No, I can't. And then later when it's important, yes, I can! Or in episode four, she turns into a jackalope. Episode five, she turns into a squirrel. Episode six, it's serious. Now she's turning into a giant white tiger. Named Minxie. It's a giant white (laughs) saber-toothed tiger, and canonically, its name is Minxie. There is a moment that's not going to be covered in the Briarwoods, I don't think, where Keyleth gets some, like, gauntlets of fire or something. Oh, dear. And then turns into Minxie. And Matt oh. says that her paws are still on fire. And Ke- Marisha immediately says, yeah, I look like an Ed Hardy shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Which I don't <laughs> think that'll show up because it'll no, be hard it's to. A, yeah. Um, what else? Um, it was fun to see them talking about murders that they had committed and see scenes from murders you mean monsters that they have killed uh sure (laughs) monsters that they killed like that rakshasa who is clearly a sentient speaking person well what i like about that is yeah and what what we liked about it as people who have watched the the game are that those are all callbacks to things that happened to the characters before this arc yeah they're easter eggs for people who have seen the game but but even if you haven't, it's like, oh, yeah, Grog looks amazing ripping that thing's tongue out with his teeth. Yeah, or, Grog would do that. Yeah. Like, there's so... They clearly put a lot of thought into what things from the game can we put in to make it serve the story. Because for everything we say that we like that was from the game, there's got to be like 50 things that they chose not to put in. Right. Yeah. Because there's a lot, I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of hours of that game. Exactly. That they have gelled down, and they've done a really good job of cherry-picking the good parts. Yeah. And there's some things that might not have been references, but we still pretend they are, like Grog throwing a keg of booze and oh, that's a reference. Vax hitting it with an explosive arrow. That was Vax hitting it with an explosive Vex. arrow. Man, I even paused. like. That vex. <laughs> it's okay. Anyway, that's clearly a reference to the campaign to Fluffernutter. 
Yes, Fluffernutter is one of the funny, the best scenes in Campaign 2, in my opinion. And if you're interested in knowing what happens in it, you can go on YouTube and there are a hundred fan animations of it. And they're all <laughs> hilarious because it was a hilarious scene. No structural damage. <laughs> so we've watched uh, episodes four through six twice now. And I I think they're really good. Like, Yeah, they're really... Like it's yeah. ob- it's obvious to say, well, the voice acting is good because these are voice actors, but they know the characters so well. They're so lived in at this point that that's true. The voice acting is all really, really good. When Grog is worried about Pike, his voice cracks just the right amount. Oh yeah, Travis knows what he's doing. He he does. I and it's also really weird to think that they were. Voice actors who played D and D, and now they are D and D characters being voice acted by those same voice actors. Yeah, it's a whole, it's a whole spiraling galaxy. There. It's it's like also how it's weird that th- there's Japanese voice cast translating this when some of them got into the business translating Japanese. Right, scripting from Japanese to English, and now their stuff is being scripted in Japanese, and yeah. it's all this whole weird full circle thing, which awesome. I said this la- our last episode, but it must be so amazing for them to watch this. Yeah, yeah. Time is a flat circle. It is, man. That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> nothing, absolutely nothing. Did you like True Detective Season 1? I thought it was okay, but people kept expecting it to turn Cthulhu-y, and it didn't, and people got really mad about that. Yeah, people were angry about it, and I don't think that's... You don't always need tentacles, guys. I liked it because it had a lot of elements of Lovecraftian horror, but never went full tentacle. Yeah, it was like here's a guy who might be go- might have gone crazy from a king in yellow situation or not, we don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I liked that more. Yeah. Than I like some of the more um direct Lovecraft adaptations. Yeah. So what else you want to talk about? I don't know, you see anything else good lately? Uh uh RuPaul's Drag Race season 14 is fun. Um I'm going to say that Seattle Queen Bosco just uh, is doing really well. We were really lucky because we went and saw a drag show like a few weeks before the cast was announced that Bosco was in. We went and saw the... um, Boulay Brothers. The Boulay Brothers did a show in Seattle, and I love them so much (laughs) that I double-masked up and got ready, and we went out. And there were, like, a bunch of other queens performing, and they were all okay. And then Bosco came out and performed to a My Chemical Romance song and killed it. It was so great. Bosco clearly, I don't know if this is fair to say, but felt more alt than the other queens at that club. Yeah, the other queens were very... Yeah. Like, I understand that the average drag show is someone comes out <laughs> and lip syncs to a song and gets off stage. That's not what I'm used what I myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we'd seen Bosco just before the season. 
we saw Jinx Monsoon just before her season, too. Oh, yeah. We uh, saw them performing in um, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Yeah. So True. might be good news for Bosco that we saw him. Uh, sure. Although That's how that works. Willow Pill and Angeria, I think, are the class of the season. They're just killing it. They are killing it. Uh, let's see. What else have I seen lately? Oh, I watched uh, Last Night in Soho. Oh, yeah. Which I absolutely loved. Oh, yeah. I did. Yeah, speak I, that. Well... Edgar Wright knows how to make a film that looks good. He absolutely does. I mean, his films are spot on. Um, so I really liked the... I guess I'm going to call it a Jallo-inspired look with a lot of colorful, multicolored changing lights yeah, throughout this, the movie. This girl gets a hotel room... That doesn't just have one neon sign outside the window. It seems to have like four different colored neon yeah. signs outside the so window. So the room flashes different colors. Um, the cinematography was amazing, and I really liked the story. I thought it had an interesting twist at the end. Yeah. Which I'm not actually going to spoil because it's still on pay-per-view and people can still see it. That's right. But I felt it was really an interesting story about two women, which are... Yeah. I found it stressful that it started with her going to art school and just having a nightmare of a roommate. I did. I oh, found her, that roommate. Yeah, Jacosta was the worst. I hated her so much. I hated her, and I don't see what she added to the story aside from extra stress on this poor girl who didn't need it. Yeah, but that's kind of how normal life is. Yeah, well, who, who wants that? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Luckily, I've got an excellent roommate in you. Oh. And a nightmare roommate sweet. in the dog. She is a good dog. Bianca, are you a good dog? I held the microphone up to her face, and she has nothing to say. And She's... I think that means we might be done. <laughs> we might be out of subjects if we're trying to interview our dog. So anyway, we're going to keep talking about the Vox Machina. Yep. Uh, we will be back in a week. Yep. And um, stay out of trouble. Okay, bye. Bye.